Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. You are listening to episode number 37. As always, I hope the end of your week is wrapping up nicely. It is time to enjoy the weekend and catch the final game of the Anaheim Ducks road trip on Saturday afternoon. And in case you didn't hear the news... The Anaheim Ducks recalled goaltender Ole Eriksson Eck from the San Diego Gulls on Wednesday. He joined the team on the road trip, and there is certainly a lot of concern on the back end for this team between Anthony Stolarz and John Gibson now being out. Two young goalies in the rotation for the Ducks with Lukas Dostal and Eriksson Eck. Now, in their matchup on Saturday, they will face the Edmonton Oilers. A high-powered offensive team with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Zach Hyman on that top line. Edmonton ranks in the top five offensively in the NHL with goals per game. This will certainly serve as a big test for the Ducks. McDavid is leading the league in points with Dreisaitl right behind him. But let's move along to go coast to coast today to hear some of the best cold calls from around the NHL. Taking a look back to the small slate of games on Wednesday night. The Ottawa Senators and Montreal Canadiens facing off a 3-2 win for the Senators, helping Ottawa stay on a hot streak. Two power play goals in the second were the difference maker for this game. But Montreal did attempt a comeback in the third. It just was not enough. Alex Debrinkit assisted on all three of the goals on the night for the Senators. And Brady Kachuk had the third goal for Ottawa coming on the power play. Hear the call from Dean Brown. Puck is tipped across. Debrinkit again sends it in. Batherson tries to drop it back for Debrinkit. Gets a shot away. Scores! Debrinkit beats him three. Nothing Ottawa. Somebody deflect this out in front, Dean Debrinkit, so determined to get the puck to the net. We'll wait for the official call. This might go to Brady Kachuk here. He is all smiles as he celebrates Ottawa's third goal and second on the power play. This heated power play continues. My heavens, 17 power play goals in the last 10 games and two periods. Debrinkit wheels and fires. And if Brady got it, this was just an extension of his stick somehow redirecting this one. Oh, yeah, I think he got it, Dean. I think he just changed direction of this completely. Nice job by Ottawa again around the horn in the zone. Ottawa determined to get the puck towards the net. Debrinket missed on one chance, gets it back, and uh, looks like Brady just elevated the puck over the blocker side of Montembeau. 3-0 Ottawa leads. The Minnesota Wild and Detroit Red Wings faced off also on Wednesday with Minnesota closing out the game in dominant fashion, 4-1 at XL Energy Center. This was Minnesota's third straight win as of late, but the big storyline from this game was Ryan Reeves' physicality. He had a big hit on Philip Roenick early in the game. It was a bit controversial. There was no call on the play, but Roenick was clearly shaken up. But there was, like I said, no call on the play. It was just a hard, clean hit. For Minnesota, Frederick Gaudreau netted two goals in this one with the first coming on the power play right from the middle. 
Joe O'Donnell has the call for Minnesota. Aerial pass along, Goudreau a shot, he scores! Freddie Goudreau ripped one underneath the crossbar. It's a power play goal, and late in the first, the Wild have a one nothing lead. It was a competitive game between the Vancouver Canucks and Calgary Flames. A hot start from the Canucks, but ultimately, this one took a shootout to decide the ending. The Canucks getting the win. Calgary is now on a four-game skid, a bit surprising. Andre Kuzmenko would have the only goal in the shootout for the Canucks, and it was an absolute snipe past Jacob Markstrom. Listen to the call from Brendan Batchelor on how Spencer Martin closed it out in the net for Vancouver. Here's Backlund. He needs to score for the Flames. To the right circle in the Vancouver zone. Now into the slot. Deeks to the backhand. He missed the net, and the Canucks win. Spencer Martin stops all three Calgary shooters in the shootout. And the Canucks take it on the road tonight in Calgary. The final score, 4-3. to three. In this episode today, we are going to take a wider look at the National Hockey League as a whole. And to do so, who better than Greg Wyshynski? He spoke with us on how sports writing has evolved throughout his career, as well as some of the big storylines in the NHL right now. Find out more in this next segment. Joining Light the Lamp now is senior NHL writer at ESPN, Greg Wyshynski. Great to have you join us today, Greg. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, shout out from uh, the, the right coast. Not the correct coast, <laughs> but the right coast. Oh, this coast might be a little bit warmer right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Man. I was looking for I, I, I was looking for a little bit of travel coming up and uh uh, I was looking at the temperatures in LA and that's like, you know, sixties. That's, that's about right. Then I was looking at the temperatures in Vegas. Cause we were thinking about maybe going there. Mm-hmm. My God, it's like the desert is, is a cruel place in December, man. It's like <laughs> in the forties in Vegas. So oh. I'd, I'd much, I'd much rather be in Anaheim or LA than, than <laughs> down there. I think. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of your background for anyone that's listening and might not have know your work as well, or have, you know, followed you for a bit, but, um, Go ba- going back, where did you grow up and how did you get into hockey? Yeah, I'm from Jersey originally, um, and I got into hockey because of my dad, pretty much. Um, I was born into a family uh, that was a Mets, Jets, and Nets fan family. Mm. Um, he was a Ranger fan when he was a kid. Then he became an Islander fan when they existed in the 70s. And then he was like a huge fan through the dynasty years. And our our wood panel basement had a bunch of Islanders memorabilia in it. And then when I was born, it was in the first couple of years, the Devils being in Jersey. And so I was obviously attracted to the local team. And and my dad gave up his Islanders fandom to become a Devils fan so we could, we could you know bond over it. And my my fandom was very much not playing hockey. Like mm-hmm. I didn't grow up playing it. I didn't have friends that played it. If I played it at all, it was probably running around in the street, um, not even on skates. Uh, my fa- my fandom is, my, is from being a fan, going to the, the Meadowlands, sitting in the cheap seats, feeling like every night was life or death when you played <laughs> the Rangers, because the next day at school, you were either going to have a very good day or a very bad day because there were so many Ranger fans in your town. It was it was that experience that made me love hockey. And then, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, to, you know, find it, you know, carve out a career in journalism and, and then ended up writing about it. 
And you've certainly had quite a long career so far in hockey, too, and in journalism. Now, I know you went to the University of Maryland. I am also a Big Ten alumni, except I went to Michigan State. But I have been (laughs) to Maryland's campus, and I actually uh, loved my time there. I spent a whole summer there, and um, I I love Maryland. I feel like it's a great school. Maryland was awesome because Maryland was the place for people like me who wanted to live away from home, but mm-hmm. like within driving distance of home. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of my friends ended up going to Rutgers. You know, mm-hmm. that's for me that you might as well just live in your parents' basement. Then <laughs> Maryland was a good, you know, three and a half hour clip, four hour trip back to Jersey. And so it felt like being away and and, and living on campus was awesome. Um, it's where I started doing radio on campus. It's where I first started to do writing on campus. And, um, you know, it's funny, I I actually went to school for public relations. It was part of the journalism school there. And, um, it's not anymore now it's in communications. Um, but I always, the the minute I got there, I'm like, I want to be in journalism. And they're they're like, do you want to make money? I'm like, yeah, they're like (laughs) be in public relations. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And that, and that was a short lived career. That was a, that was a career where I, I was in it for about a year after I got out of school. And then immediately it was like, you know, I'm writing all this hockey on the side. I should just probably become like a sports writer. And that's kind of how it went. I worked for a, a chain of, of local weekly newspapers in Virginia, um, for a long time and then kept on writing hockey on the side. And then eventually like ended up in blog world. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I never, people always ask me about getting into the industry and I never pretend that I didn't, I didn't come up at the right time. It was a time where blogging was first starting. It was booming. I was good at it. And it was at a time when hockey writing was sort of changing in the sense of like, and sports writing in particular was changing in the sense of like, you could be funny, you could have personality, you can bring in pop culture references. And that's kind of where it all went. And I was lucky enough to kind of get in at the right time. And that's one thing that I think is really unique to you and some other people too, is your ability to have that personality and show that too through your work. And with the way the industry has changed so much, how important do you think it is to be able to, you know, be yourself in your role in journalism? It's really important. And it's, and it's something that's changed over time. I mean, you know, after I got done with the newspaper, I, I did the Puck Daddy blog at Yahoo. Some people in the audience might know it. Some mm-hmm. people might not. Um, it was a, a place that was just this clearinghouse of irreverent hockey coverage. And I mean, we did Photoshop contests next to stories about the Board of Governors. You know, we did <laughs> we did analysis of trades next to, you know, Jersey fouls. Like it was a place that I really wanted to kind of make unique in in the sense that you can do all those things in the same spot. You can be a hard news writer, but at the same time, crack jokes in the, in the next thing you write. And um, it took a while for people to understand that that could coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people still struggle with the idea that that can coexist. Um, but as far as the personality goes, the one huge change I think that's happened in sports writing for the better is to come clean with the fact that you got into this because you're a fan. Like, as a as a blogger back in the, the the late aughts, like I never made a secret the fact that I was a Devils fan. Mm-hmm. And so the Flyers fans and the Rangers fans reading my stuff knew where I was coming from, as did the Devil fans. If if I was super critical about something the Devils did, they know that came from a point of me being a fan. And and what's changed over time is I think it's become safe for people to be honest about their allegiances. I think of my my friend Mina Kimes, 
on ESPN. She's like one of the preeminent football analysts that we have mm-hmm. who also happens to be a Seattle Seahawks mega fan <laughs> and is not shy about it. And I think it's great that we can be honest about our allegiances and not pretend that a, we don't have them and B they aren't informing the opinions that we have sometimes. Now you've been with ESPN since 2017 and now obviously the network has the rights for the NHL in their second season now. So how much have you seen, you know, the coverage of the NHL change in these last couple of years? And I'm certainly sure you're excited to have it at ESPN too. <laughs> well, my stuff gets promoted a little bit more, which is always <laughs> a good thing. But, um, you know, I, I think the cool thing about writing hockey at, at ESPN and, and seeing the change with the with the becoming a rights holder was that, you know, they always valued the idea of doing things a little bit differently. Um, you know, when when Emily Kaplan and I came aboard, um, I guess it was 2017, whatever the first year the Golden Knights were in the league, I think it was 2017. Um, we were tasked with kind of doing things a bit different differently. They didn't want straight ahead stories. I talked to these GMs and here's what they said kind of stuff. They wanted personality. They wanted to talk about the players and what they liked to talk about the, the league and, and be, you know, opinionated about it and, and really kind of dig into conversations that the fans were having, which is something that wasn't necessarily always happening in their coverage. And, and the cool thing about getting the rights is that I feel like all of that stuff has just now expanded. You know, the the conversations that we were talking about in our writing now happen on the point and happen during the the, the panel discussions. Um, it's opened up different opportunities for me. Me and my friend Ardo Ocal have a show called The Drop on the ESPN on NHL YouTube network that's like a weekly video show, video streaming show. Like there's just been a lot of, of really cool opportunities to open up, but essentially the tone of the coverage remains the same, like have some fun with it, inject personality into it, but also make sure that we are the place that you stop for, for great news and analysis. You know, it's good that you mentioned Emily's name. We've actually had her on the show before. And I remember I asked her, uh, about what is something that's coming out this season content wise that you're excited for. And she told me it was her Jason Robertson piece and how relevant that has been this season with his success so far. Oh, yeah. And and again, like that's one of the cool things about the network is that they understand inherently that to grow the audience, you have to do a couple of things if you're covering hockey. One, you have to put the emphasis on the players, both in their personality off the ice and, and also to accentuate the, the magic that they make on the ice. And then two, you, you have to kind of cover the sport in a way that is not going to be insulting to the diehard fans that show up for it, but also general enough that new fans don't feel intimidated by it. It could be a very intimidating sport. I mean, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of rules. It happens (laughs) on ice. And on top of that, you sometimes deal in these fan bases with a lot of gatekeeping and a lot of intimidation Mm -hmm. about not knowing all the things immediately about the sport. And it it sucks. It, it, It repels people. So, you know, one of the things I always prided myself on at Yahoo when I was there was the ability to write stories that could clearly convey what was happening to someone who might not follow hockey on a day-to-day basis while also kind of winking at the people that do. And, and that tone, it's hard to strike it all the time, but I think that myself and, and the general coverage at ESPN overall does a pretty good job of it. Now, growing up a Devils fan, did you expect them to have this success that they are this season this soon already? 
Whew, that's a relief. I thought we were going to talk about 2003 for a second. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I feel I feel like I feel like I'm making a lot of friends in this podcast. I might not be making any after that discussion, but uh, um, no, I, I you know it's funny. The Devils and the Kraken are two teams that I think are kind of of a piece in the sense that when you talked to them about their teams last season, they both said the same thing. We think we're doing a lot of really good things. And we think the underlying numbers indicate that we're doing a lot of really good things. We just aren't getting saves and we aren't getting defensive stops. And, and those are the problems with our teams. And in both cases, the minute they started getting better goaltending, the minute they started ascending in the standings. Now, in the Devils case, I, I did not expect what they've become, mm-hmm. um, or at least what they were for the first quarter of the season, where they are a dominant offensive team and a dominant puck possession team. But I, I just did not think a team this young could be as good defensively as it is to watch Jack Hughes play is to sometimes watch a guy that has the, the abilities that you'd expect in someone like Mark stone to like harass a puck carrier and steal the puck and go back the other way and get a chance. Like he's his defensive game is off the charts. Good right now, which I didn't expect. So, um, I knew they'd be good. I, I picked them to make the playoffs. I just did not expect anywhere near the dominance uh, that they've exhibited in the first part of the season. Do you think it will be sustainable through the next part of the season? <laughs> it's, barely, it's barely been sustainable in December. They've kind of hit a yeah. rut lately. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I think they'll be OK if, if, a, if a couple of things continue to go their way. One, without question, is health. The biggest pro- one of the biggest problems the Devils have had is keeping their core healthy at the same time. I think Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and Dougie Hamilton were only healthy, all three of them in the same game, 27 times last season. So if you if you don't have that, um, you're not going to be successful. And they've had that throughout the entire season. And then the second thing, obviously, is the goaltending. You know, they they Vitek Vanacek and Schmid and Blackwood, whenever he comes back. I mean, these are goalies that... I think have, have outkicked their coverage a little bit this year insofar as their effectiveness. Vanacek in particular has been well beyond what I think even the devils expected. I think they wanted competence and he's been great on most nights. Um, so if those two things hold, they should be okay. And I, and I want to believe that they've banked enough points where they're going to be a playoff team. And, uh, and that's exciting. It's a, it's a really good team. And again, for, for for those who've been following the sport for a while, like the idea that the Devils could be exciting is probably a- alien <laughs> to a lot of people. <laughs> but you watch this team, man, and the way that they create off the rush and, and the way they skate and the tenacity with which they play, they, they are without question the most exciting team I've seen this year. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Alex Ovechkin and how he made history netting his 800th career goal this week. I mean, I had a feeling he would continue to climb on that record list. But do you think he can reach Wayne Gretzky's record at the top? So I, I actually covered Ovechkin when he was a rookie. I was in D.C. I was working for a newspaper. Um, I found ways to get to the to cover the Capitals as often as I could um, because I, I was such a hockey guy. And and so I was there when he came up and, and got to see this force of nature that he was when he was a rookie and as a young player and, and putting up incredible goal totals. And I didn't think that we'd see this. Um, I didn't think we'd see this because sometimes you see goal scorers decline after a certain age. What I didn't anticipate is that that decline sometimes is tied to their ability to skate. And in Ovi's case, his goal scoring prowess isn't dependent on still being as fast as he was when he was 23. 
you know, he the shot is is the important thing. His strength is the important thing. And because of the way he scores goals, he's been able to continue to score them. The other thing was health. I mean, even back in the day, people were joking about how this guy was built like a tank. He's the Russian machine, all that stuff. To play as often as he has and to not have missed any time significantly in his career is remarkable for the way that he plays. He's a physical player. It's not like he's shying away from contact. So that is remarkable. But the most remarkable thing about him, uh, I I was talking with Ted Leonsis, who's the owner of the Capitals at the Board of Governors meeting this week in, in Florida. And he was talking about how as great as it'll be to see Ovechkin break Gretzky's record, and I think he will break it, the real unbreakable record might be um, that Ovechkin has scored all these goals with the same franchise. Mm. And it's such a unique thing when you think about how many players that you you think will never leave their teams, Gretzky included, Taves and Kane, like all these guys that you thought would never leave their teams eventually do because their teams end up stinking or they want to change the scenery or whatever. Ovechkin's going to have scored all these goals with the Capitals. And, and what that tells you is that that's been a competitive team throughout his entire run there. Yeah. And they've, he's played with good players and they've always kind of been in the hunt. And that's a huge part of him being able to, to threaten this record is to have talent surrounding him that enabled them to be good. And it's one of the reasons he resigned there is the promise that they wouldn't rebuild as long as he was on the Capitals. You know, that really is a good point. I saw that stat too. And the fact that he has just decided to stay in DC through all these years too is it is very impressive. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And again, like you think about how many teams have uh have have rebuilt during that time and, and how many teams, you know, look to trade their star to facilitate a rebuild. Um, it just hasn't happened. They've they've had the same core for a long time. He's obviously had Nick Backstrom and, and John Carlson with him for a really long time there and Kuznetsov. And uh, it's never gotten to the point where they've had to tear it down and, and maybe give him second thoughts about sticking around. Well, we here in Anaheim know kind of what the rebuild mode is like because that's what we're going through right now. Um, so I'm curious on your opinion about the Ducks. And did you expect them to be in the position they're in necessarily in this moment coming into the season? I did. I, I thought I didn't think there was any reason for them to be competitive this year, to be honest. Like, um, I, I feel like this is a team that's still a year or two away from really contending. And that's fine. I mean, Zegris is what, 21. McTavish is still extraordinarily young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Terry's still in his mid 20s, like and obviously Drysdale, like all these players are so young. Um, that there's plenty of time for them to develop. And, and of, of course, the, the draft being what it is this year, extraordinarily top-heavy, some you know, potentially franchise-altering players at the top in Bedard and Fintelli, like, it's not a season where they should be good. It's a season where they should be kind of bad. And also a season where I think you know, Pat Verbeek can really evaluate what this roster is and, and, and what's in front of them and then you know, adjust accordingly in the off season. So I know some people thought that they were going to be maybe a little bit better than they are. Um, but I think being uh, as, as middling as, as they've been, um, is, is good for the franchise in the long run. Although maybe you'd like to see a little bit more growth defensively from some of these younger players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I mentioned, we do have quite a bit of a bright future because of how young 
the team is right now. So that's something to look forward to here in Anaheim. But one more thing that I want to touch on too, I know that you have a hand in the betting content at ESPN too, <laughs> an area that is really starting to boom over the last year, maybe two years now. Um, but how do you think that that's going to impact the NHL in the future? Oh, I think it's huge. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know betting is is kind of a touchy subject for some people for obvious reasons. I mean, it's it's a vice. It's it's hurt people's lives. I completely understand that dynamic um, and respect that that concern. And I also think that some of the places where wagering has entered the media have been uncomfortable. Like, I, I feel like there's been a backlash against mentioning it uh, and during coverage because of how it's sort of and, and people have said this are like shoved down their throats for, you know, as far as it appearing on broadcast too often. And I think that's problematic. Uh, I think that's a problem with the broadcast, to be honest with you. Like they've, there's ways to integrate it into your coverage that informs the public and uses it to teach about the games and talk about the games. And I feel like it's, it's, it's been a kind of a clunky transition, but as a way to expand hockey's reach, I have been a vocal advocate for how sports wagering could do that. I think that the, the excitement that it brings, I think the the scope of, of what you could wager on in a hockey game. I mean, there was a time when the only people, the only things people thought you could bet on hockey were money lines, puck lines, and over-unders. And now the idea that you can place a bet on Alex Ovechkin scoring a goal or place a bet on, you know, how many shots uh, Trevor Zegers will have in a game. Like it's, it's expanded the scope of, of people's um, interest in the game. And ultimately, I think it's going to be a way to bring in new fans. I mean, look, it's no secret that the sports you can wager on are the sports that people watch a lot of, whether it's March Madness or the NFL or the NBA or whatever. And so if you can convince some people, hey, this is your access point for hockey, by all means, like we, we, like we were talking about before, man, it's 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 got to be a large tent. Like we've got to give people as many access points as we can to enjoy this game and whether it's what's happening on the ice or the personality of the players, or you just like the jerseys or you like going to the games or you like, like betting on the games, like all are welcome. Like come on and enjoy hockey however you want to enjoy it. And I think gambling is just one of those aspects. Greg Wyshynski, thank you for joining us here on light the lamp. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. A reminder, puck drop for the game against the Edmonton Oilers for your Anaheim Ducks will come at 1 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. And as always, you can listen right here on DuckStream to the Call by Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Have an awesome weekend and make sure to come back again for more hockey talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.